Welcome to episode 70 of Running Matters. My name's Matt North. I'm joined by my co-host Paul Hadfield. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm well. Episode 70. Yeah. Some sort of milestone. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Can't believe 70 people would want to talk to us. <laughs> 69 so far. Yeah. Don't hang up on us yet, Kiralee. <laughs> our, our special guest today is Kiralee Deer. Thanks for giving up your time today. My absolute pleasure. And I, yeah, it's an honour to be number 70. Awesome. Hang in there. It's early days. <laughs> Before we get into it, I'd like to thank our partners, Goo Energy, Ranala, Sydney Brewery, Guy Mere Allied Health, Basecamp Altitude, T8 Run, Precision Hydration and Fractal Performance Headwear. Have you been getting into your uh, Fractal head scarf, mate? I, I love my headgear, my Fractal headgear. Yep, it's a winner. Yep, cold mornings. Yep. Nothing warms my ears better. <laughs> All right, we should we should get cracking with some uh, some questions for Kiralee. So, uh, I, I believe two thousand and eight was the uh, the time when you got stuck back into some running. Um, what was life before two thousand and eight like, Kiralee? Oh, empty and hollow. How can life exist without running in it? <laughs> It was uh, increasingly uh, increasing clothes sizes and increasing stress. And um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a workaholic, so it was very much dominated by work. And, um, yeah, just um, hitting that late 30s stage where life starts catching up with you a little bit. And, yeah, just found myself in a place that wasn't particularly healthy. Okay, and, and what was that final catalyst that uh, pushed you out the door and got you into the running shoes? Um, yeah, it was exactly that. I It was one of those Sunday afternoons when you, I was laying on the lounge lamenting life uh, in terms of complaining to my partner at the time that, um, you know, how, how tough I had it and um, that, you know, I was feeling fat and lazy and stressed and all those things I just talked about and, um he in all his wisdom turned around to me i think i'd worn his his nerves a bit thin with it all and said well you know what i think you need to get a hobby to try and get some work-life balance and um and so i tried a few different things i i took up painting um as an early option and uh my parents still have some wonderful artwork on their wall from that that um the very very considerate parents and keep displaying it and um, and that but I wasn't particularly you know particularly good at that and I tried a few different things and then again it was another one of those Sunday afternoons on on the lounge that um, I remembered that when I was at school I really loved running and I uh, loved doing cross-country and all those sorts of things and I also remembered I actually had a pair of running shoes in the bottom of the cupboard that um, that looked nice and shiny uh, from a lack of use so I put them on and under you yeah, they'd gone down to the cafe for a latte or something like that. That was about it. Um, so I threw them on and ran around the block and collapsed back on the lounge, gasping my lungs. And, um, yeah, but the, the bug had bitten. Um, I got that little bit of a runner's high happening. And, um, yeah, so I set myself the goal of running 10 kilometres. So I thought that was pretty ambitious. And, uh, yeah, so that's what I set about doing. Wow. So you've, you've done a lot 
since then and obviously you got super fit and dumped that guy am, is, am i assuming correct <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no 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 he lasted a I few know. years <laughs> yeah, sure. <But> yes <laughs> yes yeah. it's uh it's wow. a historical it's part of my, my past life before you go straight to <laughs> that what do we say a one beer bribe um that's a that's about a 10 beer bribe that one <laughs> yes yeah, it's life's been since then <laughs> It's amazing yeah. how. Um, let us bring it back to some more appropriate <laughs> running questions. Then. So within that first um, that first run, you'd already set yourself a goal of ten k. You're a pretty ambitious sort of person. What was that? Sorry. Within the first run, you'd already set yourself a goal of running ten k. Yes. You're pretty ambitious in general terms. Yeah, yeah, that was that was nuts. At that time, I thought, who? Yeah, you know, I, I knew somebody. Or I knew a friend of a friend that had run a half marathon. And I'm like, ew, that's, that's a bit crazy, isn't it? Um, I could not get my head around how anyone could run 21 kilometres without stopping. That's just silly. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's why I thought if I pegged it at 10Ks, that, that's a, a fair and reasonable distance. Um, a little bit crazy without being too crazy. And, yeah, so that's, that's how I came up with that number. And um, okay, perfect. Yeah. And I, I believe at one point uh, you were under the impression that you were the inventor and founder of the sport of trail running. How did you stumble across the trail? <laughs> and how dare Google kill my dreams on that one, man? That was just brutal. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was um, same said partner. I um, he used to ride, uh, or he still does, um, dirt bikes. And we had a friend that uh, had a property out near the Wadigans. <clears throat> and so uh, every few weekends we'd go up there and he'd go riding and um, I'd go bushwalking. I've been uh, bushwalking my whole life. I'm a highly experienced sort of um, bushwalker. And um, anyhow, this one particular day, I'd forgotten to put my bushwalking boots in and um, I went into the car and that same pair of runners was in there and I thought, oh, I wonder if you can run along trails and uh, thought had not occurred to me before this. And so I put them on and I went out for um, a trail run and well, I went out for a run along the trails and I went, oh, this is really cool. This is so much fun. And um and I came back and I thought, oh, you know, Googling, I thought, this is an amazing sport. And I knew about cross country. I'd done cross country at, at school. And, um, but I had never heard of trail running as a sport. And so it, it took me a while to Google it. Um, and I came across a website called Cool Running. And that um, had some, um, yeah, some runs on there. And I started hearing about this thing called trail running. Of course, once I found the term for it, um, yeah, and then I saw how much of a global sport it was. I, I you know, killed my dream that I'd invented a sport. But, um, yeah, yeah, coming across cool running is the factor that really changed, changed the game for me. It killed your dream, but you'd found your people by the sound of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, on the bushwalking front, I had recently completed um, walking over Mount Solitary, which I'd been planning to do for a few years. And um, and I put the thought together. I thought, oh, I wonder if, if people run over Mount Solitary. And again, Google came across the... <laughs> 
come across fat ass world, which is I always um, tell people to be very careful <laughs> about Googling the word fat ass running. Um, but it, um, yeah, and I came across this run called the Blue Labyrinth. And again, it linked back to, um, to Cool Running at that stage. And uh, I very bravely put up a post saying, because there hadn't been any entries against the, the Blue Labyrinth fat ass run for, for a little while. And so I, I put a post up saying, does anyone ever do this anymore? And this guy called Spud replied. And uh, with a very short, curt answer on that one. <laughs> but eventually, um, you know, a bit of enthusiasm came on. A few other people came in that were into the conversation that were um, a bit more enthusiastic about the idea. And a few weeks later, we met up at Kadumba and, and did the Blue Labyrinth, the second half um, uh, of that. And, uh, yeah, so the guys that turned up that day um, looked all very fit and... and um, and they left me behind in about the first 10 metres. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, this is a great spot. But, yeah, we were standing around at the start line of that and they were going, oh, yeah, yeah, I did my training run, 100-kilometre training run last week and my 50K that week and all this, you know, throwing out these stupid numbers that um, I, you know, I didn't feel up to boasting about the 16 kilometres, which was my longest, longest <sighs> run at that stage. but it was a massive life lesson because uh, I I call it it's a process of normalizing the extraordinary because once I found myself embedded with this group of crazies that talked about 100 k's like it was 10 k's um, yeah the distances went up very quickly it's funny how those numbers start to become normal it's kind of ridiculous when you talk to uh normal populations about that they look look at you like you got two heads yeah absolutely so in your uh you in your insta bio you've got extreme ultra marathon runner and yeah. you have done a lot of ultra marathons it's, it's quite a an extensive list i won't go read them all out because they'll take 45 minutes what uh what what event or, or distance um, are you most proud of? Um, I guess it'd have to be the 1,300 kilometres, um, the 32 marathons in 19 days. I guess that's been the biggest legacy run. Um, but also I've had the privilege of running um, at high altitude in the, the you know, Peruvian Andes and all sorts of places. So there, there's certainly some more of the private adventures, I guess, that really stick in my brain. Um, but the one that's the greatest legacy, I guess, is the Broken Hill to Sydney Ultramarathon. Yeah, so that was, um, you also made it, you've got a little doco on your, on your website about that as well. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's, you, you've made that, that was your, your run against violence. Um, and basically, that's, that's your cause, isn't it? You've, you've chosen domestic violence as your cause um to to raise awareness was that were you doing anything before that event to to raise awareness for that cause or was that your first first venture in that area yeah look for me um i became involved in the cause back in 2014 uh 2013 2014 um i i had no previous connection to um domestic or family violence. Um, I grew up in a very, very safe environment. And 
it was, there was a, a spate of murders in Sydney. Three women were killed in very quick succession by a current or former intimate partner. And at that time, I heard the statistic of one woman a week being killed by a current or former intimate partner. And I, I didn't believe it, <laughs> quite frankly, um, because it just didn't seem like something that would happen in Australia. I thought it was media hype and that sort of thing really annoys me when, um, you know, the, the media reports statistics out of context and things like that. So I jumped online to research what the actual numbers were and I found out the, num the actual numbers are worse. Um, in that year, we had 87 women killed by current or former intimate partner. And um, so that was a real eye-opener for me. And in the subsequent few months after that, any time I was out running on the trails on my own, the images of those women kept flashing up in my mind um, to the point that I'd find myself crying as I was, as I was running along. And, um, and I know myself well enough that when I'm having such an emotional reaction to something, then I've got to do something about it. It's a calling to me to do something. So I approached White Ribbon at that stage. I um, was really keen also to run a 500 miler, to put together a 500 mile run and purely for the song. <laughs> purely inspired by the song I swear and um and so I approached White, White Ribbon and I said look he's I donate you know 500 miles to the or 800 kilometers to the um cause so do with it as you will and over the again a couple of months we designed a run that took me through um three of the top 10 local government areas for domestic related violence um and we use that to engage those communities. And coming out of that, um, it was when my head crew, um, head crewy Brad Smithers and I, sat down after that and um, decided we wanted to do more. And that's what gave birth to the to Run Against Violence. Uh, you, you've been quoted to say that you didn't choose domestic violence; it chose you. Yeah. Is, is, is that a reference to the news article that, that's grabbed your attention and the, what, what you just mentioned? Yeah, it's, a, it's that feeling, yeah, it's the bit that it, it wouldn't let me go. Um, I was, yeah, I was having those images come up. It was the feeling um, inside me that something has really had hold of me and um, it was the amount of drive, the compulsive, obsessive drive I had around making change and... And I, I still have it. Um, it's, it's eased a bit because I've seen other people have started to take on um, the, the cause and take on what we're trying to achieve. So it's got you know, much larger beyond me now, but it's, it's still, I, I wonder if one day it will let me go. And I'll say, you've done your bit now and you've done enough. But it, it was certainly that. And especially in those early days, um, it, it was compulsive. I, 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 I couldn't walk away. We had, um, during that first run, um, which was from Walgett to Tamworth to Forbes, finished in Forbes on White Ribbon Day, which is the 25th of November, which anyone that lives out in that area would go, why are you running out here in November? Because we had temperatures over 40 degrees most days wow. up into 45, no tree cover, dust storms, you name it. Um, so it was a pretty brutal 12 days. Um, but, you know, we had so many people from the community come out and tell us their stories, stuff that they'd lived through. 
you know, we were sitting in the pub in the afternoon drinking as much um, ginger beer, et cetera, that I could get into me. And, and you'd be sitting at the bar and someone would come up and, and tell you something that just would rock your world. But for both Brad and I, our lives changed on a, on a football oval in Tamworth. Um, we were there, two of the local high schools were putting on a, a um, rugby league match for White Ribbon Day. Um, to, and that was their way of engaging their local community. And this kid came up to us who probably about 11 years old um, and he which was just the most beautiful, beautiful child. Um, and he shared with us what he'd lived through as a kid. And he did it so matter, matter of factly and thanked us for what we were doing. Um, and we were both in tears. We were just so rocked to see what this kid had to live with as a consequence of the behaviour of a parent. Um, and, you know, he'd been wrapped up in a whole heap of love by the Salvation Army. And um, his number one goal in life was to be a social worker to help kids like him. And I thought if he can find the guts to, to do that, the bravery, the strength, I, you know, I think we can all do a little bit more. So that's, um, yeah, that really is, I guess, what cemented our, our commitment to the cause. That's really powerful stuff. Um, and, and so after that initial 2014 run against violence, um, obviously chatting to your, your crew and, and thinking we should do more, where, where does the idea for 1,300 uh, kilometres come from? Like, where do you pluck that? That, that, that's a bubble, that's a brain bubble. Well, again, Sunday afternoons, nobody should leave me alone on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, I guess um, one of the things that we did coming out of that 2014 run was to talk to uh, a lot of service providers and people that are already active in, in the, the sector. Um, because we didn't want to replicate stuff that already existed. We didn't see the point of that. We wanted to add value or if we could join forces with something that aligned with what we wanted to do. Um, but talking to uh, particularly the social workers and support services, they, their big challenge in communities was that um, whenever they would hold educational events or or want to try and engage with people, it would always be the same people turning up. And all those people either were directly affected by the cause or they were one degree of separation. So maybe they worked in the sector or they knew somebody and that sort of thing. So they were talking to the same people all the time and they said that that's really frustrating because we actually need a whole of community response for this to be effective. And so, you know, Brad and I and a couple of others looked at each other and were running, perfect. You know, we've got the whole of community. Uh, we've got people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in this country and uh, who love their sport, who love um, doing things and um, being involved and they're, you know, pretty proactive crowd um, and who take personal responsibility for themselves and all those beautiful values. So let's use running to engage the broader community. So that's when we formed Run Against Violence. Um, in terms of 2014, sorry, 2017, Broken Hill had been in my mind for a little while since actually before I designed the, the 2014 or during the process of designing the 2014 run, but it was just too far. I, I couldn't kind of work out a route that I thought was within my capabilities because it was a 600 kilometre step up. 860 k's at that stage was a 600 kilometre step up. So 
there's already a reasonable challenge. Um, because Broken Hill uh, is a remote community that has traditionally had a lot of challenges around domestic related violence and family violence, but they were also at that time winning a lot of awards for their leadership in creating change. So I really wanted to focus in on them to, to highlight that, yeah, we can have these problems, but we can also solve them. Um, so uh, that's why we chose Broken Hill. And then I thought, well, where am I gonna run to? <laughs> um, so the coast seemed a good idea because uh, we wanted to be able to join all the different communities to, again, just to demonstrate that family violence isn't isolated to remote communities or to particular ethnic communities or, you know, things like that. It, it's across every section of our community from the very remote to the deep city. And, um, and in, again, the designing of that, a really nice, um, I guess, sign to us that we were, we were on the right route was um, when I read the statistic that 1.7 million Australians experience physical abuse before their 15th birthday um, and actually worked out the number of steps that I was going to be taking on that route and it was 1.7 million. So that was it. That's how we locked and loaded onto Broken Hill to Sydney. Yeah. Those numbers sound ridiculous. 1.7 million in so many ways. That's uh, serendipity. Yeah. Mm. And so um, you've got a virtual race coming up for Run Against Violence. Is that correct? Or are you, you doing, yeah? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> the eyeballs popping out of our head. <laughs> yes, that's correct. It's coming up. It's huge. So um, it starts um, on the 30th of August. And so I think we're about nine days away now. Um, so we're in the last mad, mad week um, before the event and that um, is, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's going bigger than Ben Hur this year, and uh, it's so we've got. Um, I think we're approaching about two and a half thousand runners, but in this last week we'll have a lot more signed on, uh, that'll be racing across the course for the third time this year. Okay, fantastic. so how do how do our listeners sign up? How do they get involved? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, so the best way to do is jump on the runagainstviolence.com, and they'll see a link for the 2020 virtual challenge, and they can jump in there, and there's the information in the registration link. They can either um, put together a team of up to 20 people, or if they're an individual and they want to get involved, they can sign up as an individual, and we'll put them on a team. And teams can be made up. You know, we've got people from all over the world participating, um, so you don't have to be in the same town or, or location as the other, other runners. And there's been incredible friendships formed around the world um, as a result of the virtual challenge, so it's, it's really worth being part of. Mm. I'm signed up. You're already in. Oh, good. I'm, I'm yeah. running for uh, Blue Mountains Marathon Clinic Gone Wild team. There you go. We are going to smash it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to get my 130 days out in the first two days. <laughs> I think the BMC's got like seven teams or something this year, but I, there does seem to be a bit of competitiveness going between the teams too. Yeah, that's how he got me involved, that competitive spirit, Ben Berryman. He knew, knew which strings to pull. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it should be good fun though, I reckon. Bit of, yeah. uh, bit of competition online. No yeah. other uh, races Let's let's jump on this one. Yeah, yeah. 
Sorry, Kira, just sort of chatting about, I guess, those conversations that you, you're talking about. Um, I guess in conjunction to, to running in this Run Against Violence virtual run, how do you suggest that people sort of start those conversations within their own um, environments? Like, how, how do you bring this sort of stuff up? Um, it, often it's the... Um, simply kind of sharing the content or the stories that we have. Um, so we try, we've got lots of stories on our website and we put them up on in the Facebook group and on the Facebook page. And just sharing those out can sometimes start things. If people, um, we've got our Facebook frame this year and that's working really well because um, I, I get to see all the comments that, on people's Facebook threads. But um, people can put a frame up about Run Against Violence and it says... Um, Bracken Hill to Sydney, 1,300 kilometres, 19 days. And people put that up and, and all their friends go, you're what? <laughs> and uh, so, again, we, we say people come for the adventure, adventure and we get to educate them. Um, so putting that, those sorts of things up, wearing the shirts, uh, wearing our logo around the place has... It almost seems too simple um, and we're kind of a bit dumbfound. We realised at first just how effective it is these people come up and ask, what's that about? They see run against violence. It's not, there's not a lot of explanation on the shirt. Um, and so, yeah, people come up and that's how conversations start. And um, it, when people know that they're talking to someone or people that have experienced violence, that when they know they're talking to someone that's just, you know, interested and supportive, they get to share um, often stories that they've never spoken to someone else about before. And as you know, a problem shared is problem halved and, and the relief that people feel, um, relief from shame and guilt and all sorts of things that people that have experienced violence can experience and can hold on to. Um, and that's life changing for people. It's simple. It, you know, it doesn't take, as the listener, it doesn't take much to just shut up for a few minutes and, and let someone talk, um, but it can be absolutely life changing for them. Yeah, it's great. Great advice. Thank you. Yeah. Really. We should we should chat some running. So let's get down to the nitty gritty of what thirteen hundred k's on foot looks like. Because it's one thing to say those numbers, but it's another thing to talk about the impact on your mind and body and the logistical practicalities. So, firstly, how do you break down that distance day by day, week by week? Um, so we had obviously a, uh, we actually had a very strict schedule that I had to keep too um, because we also did I think about seven community events along the way. So not only would I do whatever 70, 80 kilometres in the day, I'd then have a microphone stuck in front of me or a camera um, and have to <laughs> or stand up in front of a whole bunch of high school students and you know those sorts of things were going on too. So um, we had to be in certain places at certain times. Uh, so there was no slack in the, the schedule at all for when, you know, the wheels fell off and they, they did or the legs fell off. Um, mm. The only way to handle it is one kilometre at a time. Um, so once you've got the big picture mapped out and we know what we've got to do, it, it comes down to every kilometre, every step. Um, yeah, I sort of talk to people about the fact that um, not only mentally do you have to break it down that small, but the fact is you're running along the side of a road where there's cat's eyes, where there's rocks and all sorts of, you know, little potholes and things. And if my feet get caught, you know, my toes get caught in something like that, I'm going to 
fall over and I can do an ankle and it's game over. So it could be the tiniest thing that actually brings you unstuck in all that big plan of things. The 1300 Ks will happen if I take care of the little details every step. So that's how you do it. Confident. Confident. How many uh, toenails did you finish with? Oh, did you lose a few toenails? No, I think I did. I think I kept them all. Well, the hashtag runners to uh, <laughs> All that I started with, anyhow. I, I don't think I lost toenails. I, that's a good question. I don't recall. But I don't think so. I, I'm not a big toenail loser. Yeah. Okay. The feet yeah. needed to have been horrendous, though, surely. My feet? Yeah. So, yeah, they were a mess. Um, yeah, blisters were an absolute nightmare. I, I, again, I'm not a big blister sufferer, but blisters that run was um, was a shocker. That was hard on that run. Um, we ended up, I, I did a couple of days in socks and sandals uh, until I realised that... <laughs> because I found the straps of the sandals sat in the right spots that all the blisters and swelling and everything else, it was, it was actually comfortable. Um, and at that stage, I had compartment syndrome or shin splints all the way up the front of my legs. So, um, you know, I wasn't moving very fast. Um, but we found as we hit Bathurst and, and that kind of central west area that there was a lot of Bathurst burr and, and they were getting into the socks and everything. So we had to find another solution. And um, we ended up carving up a pair of... Um, a, a couple of pairs of my shoes and um, actually cutting big slots out of a, a pair of hockers and a pair of um, innovates that I had and they essentially became a bit like a sandal by the time we took all the chunks out of them to accommodate the blisters but they were perfect then and um, I didn't get so many burrs in my socks so yeah and then but once I got up to um, once we headed up into Oberon because we hit snow we'd gone from dust storms out around Ivanhoe and the Ivanhoe Road to hitting snow um, and, and blizzard conditions at Oberon across to the six foot track. And the upside of all of that was that the swelling in my legs went down. And so, oh, yeah. um, and, oh, yeah, yeah, so I became, yeah, I was able to run again um, once I got over the six foot track. That's amazing to come good after that long. Yeah. yeah. It felt, it felt amazing. It felt, and I'm sure I was moving the speed of a grandma, but I felt like I was flying. <laughs> I had my little whippy and I was just going for it. It was amazing. Could have been the caffeine injections at Lura as well that helped with that. <laughs> actual injections, that's impressive. <laughs> um. Okay, maybe not actual uh, injections. <laughs> Can we talk about weight along that time? Did, did you try to sort of fatten yourself up before you embarked upon this journey or did you, I don't know, did you lose kilos and kilos along the way? Yeah, look, um, I'm a, a strapping lass for, for trail running anyhow, for ultra running, because um, I, I, at Coast to Cozy and that sort of thing, I'm usually the heaviest way in and there's nothing unusual for me to be 15 kilos heavier than um than my other competing females so i'm a bit taller and you know pretty solid um so i see that as my advantage uh in this stuff that i can carry carry that weight and carry that muscle bulk and, and things like that so i i don't tend to have some of the the muscle deterioration issues that some of the you know slimmer runners can have um 
but yeah, I tend to run fat adapted and on those bigger ones, I'll spend months beforehand training on that. And then I'll, I'll essentially fatten myself up um, before the run. Um, and that kind of comes off, you know, in those, those first few days, but it means, um, you know, again, I'm not eating muscle too soon and um, it seems to you know, work to my advantage. But over the course of that run, I might lose five kilos sort of thing. I'm not, um, I don't lose a huge amount of weight or maybe as much as people would think. Um, and it, again, it goes back on pretty quickly. So it's, the recovery was more about getting good, healthy muscle back and making sure that you know, there wasn't going to be long-term injury there. Quite a few uh, ultra runners have um, unusual eating habits or uh, cravings during their runs. Uh, I know a few had to have a can of Coke and a pie every day on their, their trip across Australia and or a uh, tub of ice cream and a bottle of Kahlua each evening. Ooh. Is there any uh, anything that you would... That's just my training diet. Is there a... <laughs> Is there anything uh, that you have a preference to? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I definitely hook into a lot of ginger beer. Um, if the crew messes up the ginger beer supply, then it, it, things get a little bit emotional. Um, they, um, yeah, I guess I tend to have a pretty good variety of food over that time period. If it's a shorter race, then it's all just high energy, whatever goes in, stays in. That's, that's my, my approach to nutrition. If it goes in, stays in, you feel better afterwards, it's nutrition. So um, it could, <laughs> it's whatever the, the craving is. Um, so, you know, um, Pringles, you know, chips, stuff like that, I take a lot of that. Uh, fruit, I'll have watermelon and grapes and anything that's a bit soft. Bananas are a pretty good staple. I like to try and on that long stuff, keep a good variety of food going in um, because just so it kind of helps. So it's got to help replenish uh, nutrition, you know, vitamins, minerals, all that sort of thing. Um, and it just helps keeps my stomach a bit settled. Um, so that's, that's really important. Some, someone calculated, I don't know how they came up with it and I don't even know if it's true, but they worked out, they looked at all the running and the calories I was burning over these really big long runs and they worked out I have to eat 15 rump steaks a, a day to replace <laughs> what I'm burning during a run. It's just like, well, I'm never, I'm never going to do that. So it's um uh, i just yeah i know but there was that guy that used to run um gnw didn't he great north walk and have um, bill thompson he used to have a steak on the night of the miler out in the track oh, <laughs> take his little lamb and cook himself a steak a lamb cutlet for in a row. Yeah, so yeah. you know what's his name sam the, the judge <laughs> <laughs> the guy that does the lamb hats sam. oh sam kikovich yeah, yeah, yeah sam yeah. kikovich is he the guy that said have 12 rump steaks the guy that does Sam Kikovich that does the, the the lamb ads. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Did he calculate it? Yeah. Oh, some status. A lot of, a lot of rum. A lot of rum. Yeah. What, what what about pre uh pre run to fatten yourself up? What what was mm. the indulgence there? Oh, ice cream. Yeah, I should mention ice cream needs to be a fairly um featured fairly prominently. Um, I oh, just pizza and just stuff I don't normally eat but 
you know, would like to. <laughs> so lots of pizza, lots of, you know, as a, as a, a strapping lass, I do have to um, generally be a bit careful with what I eat, um, but it's all, it's, you know, all shackles off. Um, in those weeks beforehand, just to yeah, eat whatever the heck I want. <laughs> Duty of ultra running, guilt free. That's why we do it. All right. Should we go? Should we go back a couple of steps before we've run thirteen hundred k's? Yeah. Um, I believe you put a, a few years into your running career, I guess, on your fortieth birthday, you decided that. The Great North Walk was uh, was the go instead of instead of a few candles and a few glasses of wine. You yeah. tackled the entire Great North Walk and yes. set the women's SKT in the process. Yep. Um, just didn't like cake and candles, or how did that work? I don't like. Um, I I really don't like my being the hostess of parties, um, hosting my own parties, because you just spend the whole time being stressed and everyone else has a good time. So I'm, I'm really hopeless at the whole um, chilling out when the when a party's happening, because I need to look after people and make sure everyone's happy and having a good time. And I thought, well, and people kept asking me, what are you going to do for your 40th? And, nah, nah, nah. and I was like, oh, I really couldn't bring myself to... Um, to have a party. So I thought, well, what's something that I can do for my 40th that I'll still be talking about at my 80th? And uh, that's how it all came about. So we did, <laughs> we still are. I'm about to turn 50, so um, the pressure's back on. To how, with people after the 40th birthday one then say, oh my gosh, I don't wonder what you're gonna be doing by your 50th. And um, yeah, yeah, so uh, the pressure's on for next year. Have you got anything in mind, anything planned? Um, no, at the moment. Um, starting to bounce some ideas around. A friend of mine um, suggested we might want to ride on horses the, um, the National Trail and uh, a few things like that. So I don't know if we'll be running, um, but it'll be extreme adventure of some sort, I think. Mm, don't know. Like so mm. good. So good. Maybe like yeah, if you get over the states, maybe the Appalachian Trail or something. Just spend, you know. Yeah. Look, yeah. There's um, the thing a project that's been kind of bouncing in the back of my head for a bit, um, for a couple of years is, it is actually possible to run from the Brazilian coast to the Peruvian coast. So go across South America, um, and that would take you through jungle and you know all sorts of amazing environments the desert you know the getting up over the andes the high andes and all that sort of thing so that's sort of bubbling there a bit and also there's a a, a road that um the incas put in that goes from up in colombia um all the way through to santiago and um that's 3,000 kilometres of trail um, of road, basically of old road network that's that's there. And that's kind of mountain bike, 3,000 k's-ish, you know, that's kind of bubbling there a little bit. Um, so, yeah, yeah, something like that probably. It'll be a road less travelled, I think, where the Appalachian Trail's, you know, it's a super highway for trampers and um, the Pacific Crest Trail, whatever it is. So... I think it'll be a road less travelled. Okay. No, that sounds good. That is an extreme way to avoid birthday cake. <laughs> and I can eat as much um, birthday cake as I want. 
So um, you, you've done all these amazing adventures and all these amazing races, and it sounds like you've, you've got more, you know, coming up. Do you have a real job? I've got three at the moment, I guess. So it's, um, yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I consider I consider Run Against Violence a, a job. It's, it's um, as I say, I've got three jobs, one of which is actually paying me at the moment. So it's, um, yeah, I do, yeah. Short answer is yes. You've got, so you've, you've started Eyes Wide Open. Do you want to tell us about that? Um, so I've had Eyes Wide Open for... Um, more than 20 years now. So that's my traditional business. I am a business strategy consultant and I particularly focus in on competitive strategy and go-to-market strategy for people that understand that sort of thing. So basically a company will come to me when they um, want to enter a new market and I work out how to make that happen for them. And then I've got the team and I essentially then project manage that process for them um, if they need me to. So that's what I've been doing for the past, you know, 20 odd years I've always really enjoyed that sort of work um, and I guess that's been really useful for then working out how we make run against violence um, successful um, but yeah I've got I've got my new my new passion project that's underway at the moment too so yeah busy days we'll chat about the passion project in a second I've got the, the skinny on that one okay yeah I want, to, I want to talk about practicalities of putting together an 800-kilometre charity event. Right. So, obviously, there are pitfalls and you know, things to be aware of. Mm -hmm. So, who are the people you reached out to for guidance in that sense? Who, who had done this before that you uh, were, were talking to? Oh, okay. For the first one, um, uh, Pat Farmer. Um, he was really helpful um, for doing that sort of thing. He's because he's you know super accessible. Friend, friend of the show. <laughs> Sorry, good friend of the show. That's a friend of the show. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Early adapter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Fantastic. Yeah, he always makes himself so available, doesn't he? So he was okay. he was really good. Um, and then. Um, I'm just trying to remember, actually. Um, the look, I had a, a real bout of imposter syndrome, you know, self doubt on that first one when I was preparing for it. I was, I thought people were you know, going to laugh me out of the room because you know I wasn't an ultra. I'd only run 262 kilometres and you know done the Great North Walk and we'd set the FKT, being the first woman to run it, and I still didn't feel comfortable calling myself an ultra runner. <laughs> So it's, um, it's a funny, funny feeling. Um, I laugh at it now, obviously, go back and, and look at these things. It's always amusing. But, um, so I was very secretive that I had that planned. Um, and I just put out um, a message to a few of the ultra-running crowd um, to see if anyone was interested in being involved. And Brad Smithers put his hand up straight away um, and he's been you know the co-founder of run against violence and with me ever since we've worked together um, on all the projects but he he was fantastic at logistics so he he was the spreadsheet man and helped work through that white ribbon um introduced me to um to the police new south wales police the representatives out there the commander for in charge of um, domestic violence and he was phenomenal, um, support and encouragement. Um, it was interesting. It was one of those things, again, you know, if you can imagine, I'm in a, a place of you know, a fair bit of self-doubt around this stuff. 
at the time and um, and I sent a message or actually phoned him I think um, and told him what I was doing and he said oh look I have to put this up the chain and, and see if it's something we can support and um, he said, I'll, I'll come back to you within a week and give you an answer as whether we can get on board. Well, he phoned back in 24 hours and said, we're in and introduced me to um, some coordinators that then stayed with us through that whole project and made everything possible. Um, they were just phenomenal, the amount of support that they gave to us. And, and they really helped us with the roadside logistics. Um, obviously there was paperwork that needed to be completed, but they were obviously incredibly keen that we were safe out there and that we were able to achieve our mission. And uh, they provided all sorts of advice that we still adhere to today in terms of just practices of staying safe on the roadside. So yeah, they were phenomenal. So the information came from a lot of different sources. Um, yeah, a lot of reading, um, reaching out to, runners and walkers and endurance athletes overseas, all sorts of things, just picking brains wherever I could find them. That's good. Very good. I've got a, I've got a listener question, actually. I should get to it quickly before I uh, move on. This is from the Jolly Swagman. Uh, the Swagman says, Outback Australia has a majestic and distinctive shade of red. How long did it take you to clear the red dust out of your snorkel after the event? <laughs> Gosh, um, there was one point where, I don't know, I think the, um, the sections where in the soil changed quite a bit in colour. We went kind of red to the, the kind of more sandy sandstone colours, then into the black soils of the Liverpool Plains. And so I got quite the variety. Um, so it was a bit more, um, yeah, diverse. There, but we had a dust storm, um, like I said, going along the Ivanhoe Road, and any oh, or any time a road train went past out on the dirt roads, it, you were coughing and spluttering. And I was running along with buffs over, you know, it was very kind of COVID safe, I tell you. <laughs> I had buffs all over my nose and my sunglasses on, and you know, hats pulled down, and and sometimes hoodies on and everything just to try and stop the dust getting in there because it was just vile. So yeah, it does take a little while to clean out if you get, get caught in the dust storm. In the first run, um, it wasn't so much, we had a bit of dust coming through Wee War, um, you know, in the hot winds and things, that, that was brutal. Um, but it was the flies, man. Um, as a, what did you call him, the Jolly Swagman? <laughs> he would know the flies out there, they are intense absolutely intense mm. so they they're, they're more what you what you're getting out of the system corks on the hat that's the key yeah for the flagman. <laughs> yeah I've got, I've got another listener question actually this is uh this is coming from overseas this is coming from brad pitt actually he's asking uh he's asking why do you think trail running is better for women than i am for women <laughs> I'm sorry, Brad. And look, Brad, I will return your call at some stage when I get the time. Um, uh, <laughs> I know he's single again, isn't he? And he just, every time he's single, he's on the phone to me. I'm just like, no. I can't keep no. it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. My mind is in place that is not appropriate right now. Why is running better? Because... <laughs> It builds self-esteem and you feel good. The high lasts for longer. 
Okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I reckon that's, that's an above the covers version. Yeah. yeah, and I think, look, I think, you know, Brad Pitt, once you actually knew him as a human rather than as an icon, I think probably, you know, the, the lust and the desire would go, but that never changes with trail running. You can never have enough trail running. True. Particularly when you find out he's six foot time. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot six foot time, Brad. Yeah, I think he's a DNF. <laughs> 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 so, so quite seriously, why do you think female runners are better equipped to handle the challenges of ultra distance running than us mere male? Oh gosh, um, lots. Women, well, the main thing. Let's just get the list pretty short here and not take up three hours um, in explanation. Oh. <laughs> Wait a second, Brad's on the phone. <laughs> Not today, man. Not today. My dance card's full for at least the next 12 months, Brad. Go away. Um, the, um, because uh, women run conservatively. Um, so women, you know, as much as um, you know, self-doubt can, be, uh, can hold women back, it also is a great conserver of, of energy. And I think that means women tend i know they're smart male runners um i have come across them but it's a case of women use <laughs> you women use their brains men use their brawn when it comes to running and so they will run conservatively they'll run to their abilities um they will um yeah they'll plan their way through they'll run conservatively and then you know make it happen in the, the back end there's exceptions to every rule, of course, but I think generally the female mindset is is really honed in on that. Yeah. Mm. We knew, we knew the answer. We just wanted you to say it. Yeah. yeah we fit the stereotype perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, obviously I think over the shorter distances where physique, you know, physical ability um, counts, then um, men and their power are, are generally going to, I think, outrun women. I know that's not always the case, but generally. But gosh, by the time you start getting up to the 100 miler distance, that, that physical advantage fades very quickly. And it all comes about mindset, yeah, and ability to manage yourself, manage the adrenaline, manage all those factors. And um, yeah, so that's where it starts to equal up very quickly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I will, I'll smarten up one day. Mm. One day. <laughs> I've, got, um, I've got a couple of quotes of yourself uh, that I want to chat about. You, you said, I believe that everyone's role model has to be the self. Be your own hero. We need to define what that heroism is in ourselves and then be that. Mm. Now, obviously, Wolf is my running hero. How, how, do you, how do you be your own hero? Um, I guess that is about what's really, truly deeply motivating you to run. Um, I've been working, uh, one of the courses that I'm running is around, um, it's called Next Bold Move, and it, it's about women setting big, bold goals and then going after them. And one of the things that I get the women to focus on is understanding the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic goal setting. So extrinsic goals are things that we do 
to impress other people. You know, it's, it's broader than that, but generally those things where we say, oh, I need to prove myself. As soon as you hear those words, it's kind of, it's an extrinsic goal that you're setting. Or um, if you do things because other people have done them, where women really, and men too, but I work with women, but women come into their, their power when they use intrinsic goal setting, when they really deeply understand what lights them up, what brings them joy, um, and then pursue ways of really making that happen in the world, really flourishing around that. And that's what I think it means to be your own hero is to understand, really understand that about yourself and give yourself the space and the, the permission to go and express that as fully as it can be in the world. And that's when women really absolutely fly and nail things and, and do amazing stuff. Good answer. That's beautiful. I race to beat my friends. Is that extrinsic? <laughs> that's an extrinsic goal. <laughs> that's, very masculine. that's your masculine energy flourishing there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with being a little boy sometimes too, I reckon. <laughs> absolutely. All right, quote number two. <laughs> so normality has never sat comfortably with me, nor I those who sought it. I was the left-hander in a right-handed crowd. Mm. Do you think that's why ultra-distance running sits so well with you? It's a slightly left-field and solitary pursuit? Very much so, I think. And that's why, um, apart from the fact that I find road running very boring, um, it's. I think it's... Um, the you know standard stuff i can't sit and run around the same block constantly and conforming to that sort of stereotype it just didn't work i think the trail running the extreme adventure um pushing pushing the envelope and doing things that and there's a little bit of rebellion in there i think in terms of um doing things that women i love bagging a first okay i really love doing things that other people haven't done and other people generally male in men and women ideally but especially if i can carve new pathways for women then um yeah i really love doing that stuff so it's certainly i think not fitting in from a young age i didn't fit in and um i've just really pursued that ultra running do you sort of welcome the influx of new runners or do you feel sort of protective of your little left field space there oh uh, I, uh, well, I have retired from ultra running now and it's probably a little bit of that. Um, I, well, the races anyhow, I don't really, um, except now Costa Cozzi's back. Um, that might get me out of retirement for next year. But um, it, I, I don't do UTA. No, I, I love it. I think it's an amazing event and I think uh, all that sort of stuff is brilliant. Um, but in terms of lighting my own fire, it doesn't really do that. I prefer to go along and cheer other people on and see other people succeed and support them to succeed. But, um, yeah, it's been incredible commercialisation of the sport over the last kind of 10 years, 15 years. So, it's um, yeah, like, that, like I was saying, that first time I, I rocked up to Kadumba, um, and all the, the hardcore ultra trail ultra guys were there. They all had ratty shorts on and old maps hanging off them and ratty old packs and, you know, all very old school. And now if I think if that same run happened, it'd, there'd be a fair bit of lycra and all the latest gear and all that sort of thing. So um, <laughs> I'm probably giving those guys way too much kudos, but it's, um, 
so I, uh, you know, there has been commercialization, but I think it's fantastic that it's given, you've got lots of step ups. Back then it was just like, you did fat ass and if you died, that's okay. Um, that was your initiation. Um, but now there's lots of lovely step up events and things like that. So I think, you know, it's wonderful for the sport, but that sort of racing doesn't light my fire anymore. So that's why I don't do it. Fair enough. Fair mm. enough. Is um <clears throat> on your your website, it's it's really comprehensive, and you've got some on your blog. You've got some great articles, and and you've been published on, on quite a few of your articles as well. Um, have you got a favourite story that you've written? Oh. Um. Can I say no? I can't really think of a favourite. Um, <laughs> did I say on the website that one of them is my favourite, did I? <laughs> no, well, I mean, there was, like, there's there's so many on yeah, the website. Yeah. I'm just so, firstly, if, if the listeners wanted to go to your website, where, where would they find you? Uh, Kiraleedeer.com. Yep. So, and yeah. so, yeah, so I just thought um, they could... They could look at your blog. They could look at yep. your articles, and I just thought, oh, you might want to direct them to a favourite. That's all. That's why. Oh, um, yeah. I think. Um, look, I, I've had the privilege of running in some incredible environments, and I often send people there who are feeling like they don't know where to head with running or with their adventure and just have a bit of a poke around because it does show just the diversity of what's possible. Um, and, and that's just me and my little corner of the world sort of thing. There's obviously a whole heap more. And I, you know, it's, it's amazing to think that that day that I got off the lounge and ran around the block has led to me running from Broken Hill to Sydney, but also, um, you're going on these incredible adventures in really remote parts of the world, you know, solo adventures and um, and all the incredible friendships that I have around the world because of running. Because any time I'm travelling, if I, I, I go to a, another area, um, I always contact the running groups beforehand, the trail running groups, and hook up with people to go out on their local trails because I love seeing people's local trails. So, um yeah, it's it's really worth having a bit of a poke around there. Um, the articles on snakes always comes up every season. Uh, so, because yeah. yeah, a lot of women they don't go out in the bush because of the snakes and because there's you know snake yeah. phobia and things like that. And you know, it's um, I kind of try and deal with that sort of thing. So there's some practical stuff there as well as the inspirational. Yeah, terrific. Saw my first one of the season yesterday. Woof. Did you? Yeah. Oh. Little green. Green and black fella couldn't identify him actually. There you go. Yeah, I was stopped about a foot away. The old vision wasn't too far, surprisingly. Yeah. Anyway. Green and black. It wasn't like a diamond python, was it? Or or you've it's got possible, like... a little small one of those. Yep. Right. Yep. Very early. Anyway. Yeah. Early. Very early. early. Yeah. Well, they're out, they're, they are out. They don't actually go to sleep. That's a kind of misnomer. And, the Australian snake culture is that they actually hibernate and go and hide. They just, um, they're still out and about. They're just not as active. Um, snakes. Yeah. 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 This one was awake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were after you saw it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, Julie, you described yourself as being passionately Australian. Yes. So, in this strange time where we can't travel overseas and it's unlikely we'll be able to do things like UTMB, Western States, all these bucket list sort of races for yeah. a little while, mm-hmm. what would you encourage our listeners to, to aim for? What, what are some amazing events or trails around Australia we should have a crack at instead of those mm-hmm. big overseas things? Look, the, the fat-ass culture is still very alive and well. Um, and there's a Facebook group called SUFR, S-U-F-R, um, and it, there's a, uh, a couple of guys in there that are, are reigniting the fat-ass culture. So they're doing plenty of runs up around uh, the Blue Mountains and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I mean, it's going to be very state-specific, isn't it, if our borders remain closed for a while. Um, but I've been doing a lot of exploration on uh, trails, just pulling out topo maps of places that I haven't been for a while and, and exploring those, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, the, uh, yeah, so I, I would probably hook up. It depends on where you are with your trail running, doesn't it, really? <coughs> the um, Simpson Desert's a great place to run if you happen, <laughs> happen to be able to hook out there for a bit. And it's just so diverse, incredibly diverse um, territory that we can run in. And if you do have the opportunity, get out west, way out west, out into... Um, the far west regions and just go for a run along a really big long flat bit of road there's there's a road um, outside uh, between Menindi and which is kind of just uh, well 90 k's outside or 100 k's outside of Broken Hill um, it goes through to another small town called Ivanhoe and it's 207 kilometers of just straight um, yeah. uh, you go through incredible territory of salt bush and massive kangaroos and big flocks of emus and all sorts of things. And if you can get out there and, you know, just run for a few Ks and enjoy that and enjoy the smell and enjoy the air and the silence and all those things, it's, it's well worth the journey. And there's no COVID so, uh, at the moment, so <laughs> enjoy. Good one for the flat track bullies too, uh, the florists that enjoy that one. <laughs> what was that? Sorry. <laughs> I believe you're uh, you're launching a new passion project over the next couple of weeks called the Go Getters Compass. Can you yes. tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So basically, I'm absolutely loving it. We're doing the pilot on the first course at the moment. There's um, ten women going through it. It's all online courses, but I've taken everything that I've learned about mindset and developing. Um, an unstoppable mindset uh, over the last 30 years and um, I am putting it into online courses to take women through it um, to take women who are sort of bold women who are gold gold driven women but who have self-doubt um, and who want to become unstoppable and it's all about building that mindset and uh, yeah overcoming all those barriers that holds them back from being totally awesome um, so yeah absolutely loving that um, and it yeah like i said it's going to be online and we'll be launching the next few weeks once the once the pilot's complete okay that sounds that's really amazing very productive mm. i'm sure um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been a project that's been brewing in my head for um a, a couple of years and um Again, the, the blessings of COVID. I know there's a lot of downs, but the ups has been that I was actually over travelling in Indonesia 
um, when COVID hit and I was out in the mountains. I had no idea of what was going on and had been out in remote islands and all that sort of thing. And I was actually trying to get across the border into the land border into um, East Timor. And um, I couldn't get a visa and, you know, we're trying to work through my dodgy Indonesia and their dodgy English to work out what was going on. <laughs> and that's when I found out COVID was, you know, the world was in shutdown. And, um, yeah, so I came back and my consulting business, it had died overnight because consultants, you know, my clients are loyal to me, but they, you know, the stuff that I work on is long term. Um, and they had to look after their, their cash flow. And so I lost 90% of my business overnight. And, um, and I said, well, this is it, obviously. Um, it's created the space for me to bring this, you know, really put this, the work into this and bring it to life instead of it just being a thought bubble in the back of my head. So, yeah, it's been amazing um, how much I've been able to achieve in the last few months and, yeah, bring it happen, you know, make it happen. So, yeah, very exciting. Unreal. Mm. Well, best of luck with the new project. That sounds tremendous. Um, yeah. I guess on that note, how, how can our listeners get out there and achieve something that seems extraordinary or impossible? Have you got a got a little sort of uh, lasting tip to share with the listeners there? Yeah, that's yeah, that's my favourite one is to normalise the extraordinary or to make the extraordinary ordinary. So how you do that is um, surround yourself with people who who have done what you're wanting to do. They may have only done part of it um, or they may have done something similar that you can learn from, but just surround yourself in those people. And because of the way we live, you know, within a social media environment, we can reach out to people, like I was saying in my first run, reaching out to people all over the world to find those bits um, and surround yourself with those things, normalise that behaviour. Um, and then it becomes so much easier to do it. Not only have you got a brain's trust, but it no longer is no longer a scary goal. And this is one of the things I talk about in the course is we've got to stop setting, particularly for women, setting these big scary goals because once we're in a fear state with things, we, we go from being able to be really creative and resourceful and all sorts of stuff. Once the fear cuts in, we get into what I call our fish brain, um, and that, that part of our brain that we share with a fish and we can't do much in there so um, we've got to remove the fear and the best way to remove that fear is to surround yourself by people who don't find that stuff scary so like I said finding myself in a whole group of ultra runners who um, had you know, talked about 100k like it's poof you know, not even worth mentioning. <laughs> that that did that for me. It stopped being scary. Just it was actually a non-event. My first hundred k. Um, it was I did the Great North Walk one hundred k as my first race, and by the time it was fourteen months, basically from when I'd started running to when that happened, and um, and it was just like oh yeah. I was happy. I was really happy I'd done it, but it wasn't like, you know, I, I had moved, moved mountains, you know. It was just like, yeah, that was really nice. It was fun. It was a good giggle with some friends. So, yeah, it's incredible to see that transition in mindset happen. That's, that's great. I love that advice. <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah, very motivating. Mm. Well, we, uh, we might wrap it up. It's been lovely chatting to you and sharing your story. Um, and so listeners can find you on Insta um, under Kira Lee Deer and the same with your website as well. And yeah. uh, I'd encourage everyone to go have a look at your website. It's really comprehensive. There's some great stuff there and oh, read the you. article on snakes, I reckon. 
<laughs> and sign up for the run against violence. Jump yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. August 30, is that right, Kirill? That is correct. Yep. I'm yep. on. Yep. And so, yeah, you don't have to do a lot. If you're in a big team, you don't have to do a lot there. 10 people, 130Ks in 19 days. Yep. Piece of piss. Yep. 20 people. Less. Read it. Right. <laughs> Put it this way. So it's about three to four kilometres a day. My mum has signed up this year for the first time and she's um, 78. Um, and so she's doing it for the first time. She's not an athletic person um, by tradition, but I think 78 is going to be a change in that. Um, so she was really concerned about signing up because she thought, oh, what if I can only walk a kilometre or, or two kilometres? I said, does it not matter if you walk 10 metres? You know, in a team of 20, that's the whole point of it. It's, it's teamwork. Um, and so she was, got brave and signed up. So she started walking. She's got her app going and doing a bit of training and everything else. She's already up to walking six kilometres in a hit and not being sore the next day. So it's amazing. So she set herself a, a goal of walking... Um, we live out in the country and she's got a kind of a course picked out on some dirt roads and she'll be through that before the, the adventure even starts. So, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Good on your mum and dear. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolute hero. Awesome. All right. Well, um, great, really great chatting to you. Thanks for sharing your story and look forward to seeing your, your many adventures uh, in the near future. Yeah, see what we get up to for my 50th. <laughs> Yeah, yep. Hattie would love to join you, whatever you do. <laughs>